Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and this week's case is one that hasn't garnered a whole lot of media attention, and I have absolutely no idea why. On April 18th, I was contacted by a handful of listeners about the same victim, and just a few hours later, I got a message from her aunt. When I went to talk to her about her niece, she referred me instead to the victim's mother, and so we talked and talked and talked. This is the story of Destiny Avery. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Destiny Avery was born into an extraordinarily normal family in Denver, Colorado. She was the youngest of three girls and loved playing sister, sister, sister. Like marriages sometimes do, her parents didn't work out and split when she was only two years old. Her mother, Doreen, didn't have anywhere to live at the time, so Destiny went to live with her father. Once Doreen got her affairs in order and a home big enough for the kids, Robert fought to keep Destiny with him. But Destiny was a mama's girl through and through, and every weekend and school breaks just was not enough for her. When she was 14, she started regularly running away from her dad's house and to her mom's, and every time he brought her back. Eventually, she told her dad that she didn't want to live with him anymore, and Doreen welcomed having her daughter, who doubled as her best friend, in the house all the time. Destiny was described by everyone she knew as caring. That's the word I see over and over again. She was the kind of person who always wanted a friend and always wanted to be a friend. She was kind and thoughtful, but she was also incredibly independent. School was not her favorite, but she loved the friends that she made there, and she made some lasting ones. By the time she was 17, she decided school just wasn't for her, so she dropped out with plans to get her GED. She lived at home for a few months after leaving high school before noticing that her cousin in Texas was struggling to keep a job and afford reliable childcare. So without batting an eyelash, she volunteered, packed her bags, and headed south. She moved in with her cousin and became her live-in nanny. Now, I don't think the gig really paid much, if anything, but she was happy to be helping out her family, and frankly, she wasn't much of a wanter. She didn't want expensive things. She didn't want shiny cars. She was happy in the moment, and while sometimes that caused her to struggle, it was also a quality that a lot of people in her life admired her for. While in Texas, she maintained contact with a guy from high school named Damon. They talked all day every day, and eventually things progressed into a relationship. At some point, he moved from Colorado to Moorhead, Minnesota, and when things got serious, he invited her to come up and live with him. So she did. A year after moving to Texas, she packed up and headed north. They got an apartment through Section 8, and everything was great for about seven months. But things fell apart. Destiny told her mom that Damon was being abusive. Damon denies it, but whatever was going on, even though her name was on the lease, she told her mom that she needed to get out. Faced with being homeless in a town where she knew hardly anybody, one of Damon's friends, 27-year-old Ethan Broad, offered to let her come live with him, so she did. And it wound up being kind of perfect. As far as anyone knew, Ethan became somewhat of a surrogate older brother to her. Even Destiny's mom, Doreen, liked him, even though they'd never met face-to-face. Like I mentioned earlier, Destiny was a mama's girl and would call home three or four times a day. When she was on speaker, Ethan would sometimes join in the conversation, and as far as Doreen could tell, he genuinely seemed to care about her daughter. Destiny casually dated a few guys here and there after the breakup with Damon, but nothing really stuck. 
That is, until she was shopping at the mall one day and just so happened to meet a guy named Jordan. Destiny and Jordan hit it off right off the bat. I mean, it was like their souls were made for each other. His weaknesses were her strengths and her weaknesses were his strengths. Their romance was strong and fast. And before long, at the beginning of 2020, he invited her to move into his family's trailer in Fargo, North Dakota. So for a third time, Destiny packed up everything she owned and headed west. This sounds like a big move because it was across state lines, but it was really just a couple miles. The trailer was a packed house. It belonged to Jordan's grandmother, and aside from Jordan, his mom and his uncle also lived there. That's a lot of people and a lot of generations under one roof, and it was not always sunny in North Dakota. In late March, Destiny and Jordan's mom got into some kind of argument, and in the midst of the chaos, Jordan's mom demanded that his grandmother kick her out of the trailer, and so she did. And once again, Destiny was faced with the possibility of homelessness. Jordan was devastated. Doreen says that she'd never seen her daughter more genuinely happy than when she was with him. And from what I can tell, it's because from the bottom of his heart, he loved every ounce of her being. He felt helpless. He didn't want to kick her out with nowhere to go. So he asked her where he could take her. And she thought of the only reliable person she knew nearby. She asked Jordan to take her back to Ethan's apartment. And he did. Ethan had a new roommate now, a girl named Andrea, who I believe he'd gone to school with. But even with a change in dynamic, it was just like old times. Destiny stayed in the back room with Andrea most days, sleeping on the floor. Some days, Ethan would sleep on the couch and let Destiny sleep in his bed. And occasionally, her and Ethan would stay up late watching TV or movies in his room, and she would fall asleep in his bed. But as far as anyone else knew, their relationship was totally platonic, at least in Destiny's eyes. Jordan and Destiny worked on their relationship short distance. They would FaceTime every day, but that got a little complicated after March 29th. That's when Ethan broke Destiny's phone. The story was that he accidentally dropped a ladder on it. However, Ethan was happy to let Destiny use his phone multiple times a day, either to call her mom or FaceTime with Jordan. Everything seemed to be going fine. Neither Ethan nor Destiny had jobs. Ethan was on disability, so they just hung out together every day watching Netflix, listening to music, and playing video games. On April 3rd, Destiny called her mom from Ethan's phone like usual, and they talked for a while. She thought Jordan was mad at her about something, so she was a little stressed about that. She also said that she might not be able to stay with Ethan anymore. Apparently, he was a part of a program that helped people who were deemed incapable of properly caring for themselves, and Ethan had been. However, in November of 2019, that changed. They concluded that Ethan could, in fact, care for himself with minimal supervision, and that was somehow impacting her ability to stay with him. The details are a little fuzzy, but that's a conversation they had. But other than the few stressors in her life, her daughter seemed pretty happy overall. Little did Doreen know that would be the last time she would ever hear from her daughter. At 9.30 p.m. on April 4th, after not hearing from her daughter all day, Doreen got a call from Ethan. He was hysterical and sobbing, saying that he and Destiny had gotten into an argument the night before, and when he woke up in the morning, all her stuff was gone and she had moved out. He was freaking out, and I mean freaking the fuck out. He went on and on about how worried he was about Destiny and that he doesn't want to have to wind up being the person who makes the phone call to her mother that something bad had happened. I mean, Destiny had moved out before, so no one else seemed as panicked as he was, but his panic was a little contagious. 
The only thing that was really concerning was that she didn't have a phone, but she did have Jordan's laptop, so she could still call her mom or Jordan or really anyone using Facebook Messenger, and she did that often. So again, everyone kind of wondered why he was losing his shit. Nonetheless, he said he was going to report her missing, and he did. There's a record that he called police the following day on April 5th and told them the same story that he told Destiny's mom. But for whatever reason, right after he had in fact reported Destiny missing, he called Doreen again to tell her that police wouldn't let him file the report. He says they told him that Destiny was an adult and could do whatever she wanted, and he needed to wait a full 72 hours before she could be considered missing, which all of us crime sleuths know is complete bullshit. Jordan got the same frantic call from Ethan about Destiny leaving in the middle of the night, and he was worried about his girlfriend, but he trusted her and figured if she left, she had a good reason. And after all, she was known for being independent. It wasn't until the next day when Ethan's versions of events started to change that he felt like something wasn't right. By the fourth time Ethan changed his story and a full 24 hours without hearing a single word from his girlfriend, Jordan was convinced that something had happened to Destiny and that whatever it was, Ethan was responsible. With that, he didn't trust that Ethan would have actually reported Destiny missing, so on the 6th, he went ahead and filed a missing persons report himself. Doreen waited and waited and trusted that Ethan and Jordan had filed those reports, but absolutely no one contacted her about her missing daughter. So, on the 9th, Doreen called the police herself to report her daughter missing just to make sure it had been done, but she was told that two people already had. Absolutely zero people had told Ethan he couldn't file that report. He had, in fact, filed a missing persons report for Destiny, so why did he lie about it? And more importantly, with two active missing persons reports out on her daughter, why hadn't a single person called Destiny's own mother to let her know that her daughter was missing or, you know, just to check and see if maybe she had just gone home? There were now three active missing persons reports filed for missing Destiny Avery and not a single peep was made about it. It was crickets and her family just waited and waited for what seemed like forever for any update on what was going on. On April 17th, more than a week after Doreen reported her daughter missing, and a week and a half after both Ethan and Jordan had, she finally gets a phone call from a detective who says he's investigating her daughter's case, and he tells her that he believes foul play is involved. He didn't go into any details, but he did say that he'd call her back later that night. And he did, but Doreen had gone to bed before she got the call, so she woke up to a voicemail from the detective telling her to give him a call back. When they spoke later that morning, she never could have imagined the horrific and crumbling betrayal that would cause her entire world to come crashing down around her. On the morning of April 18th, the detective investigating Destiny's disappearance told Doreen that Ethan Broad, Destiny's best friend and surrogate brother, had been arrested and charged with her murder and was being held on a $1 million bond. Not only had Ethan been charged, but he had told police that he did, in fact, kill Destiny. If your head's spinning right now, it's okay because I'm pretty sure all of ours are. 
Doreen had to process the fact that the man she had grown to love as a son and the man who Destiny considered her big brother had murdered her daughter. She wasn't a missing person anymore. She was dead. And while charges are usually the end of a case, in this one, they were just the beginning. According to court documents, Ethan had been brought to the police station for a follow-up interview on April 17th. In that interview, he confessed to police that Destiny had never been missing at all and that she had been dead all along. He blew everyone's minds when he told them that on the evening of April 4th, he had taken Destiny's dead body across the parking lot and into his apartment's detached garage where he then dismembered her, put her body parts in garbage bags, and then threw them into the apartment dumpsters. And while Ethan admits to all of this, he claims he is not the one who killed her. Which is where we know he's a lying sack of crabs. Who dismembers the body of their best friend after someone else kills her? He tells police that his roommate Andrea's boyfriend is the one who actually killed Destiny, claiming that David hit her over the head with a lead pipe because who doesn't have lead pipes hanging around, and then slit her throat. He adds that Destiny was both in the bathroom and in his bedroom when she died. I was unaware that you could die in two different places at once. Regardless of the fact that none of the story makes any sense, Ethan goes on to claim that some of David's friends are the ones who moved Destiny's body from his apartment to the detached garage, and it's in that garage where they allegedly told him that he was the one who needed to quote-unquote cut up the body and dispose of it. Unfortunately for Ethan, his apartments had security cameras. A little before midnight on April 4th, CCTV catches Ethan, and only Ethan, dragging a large blue tote from his apartment building and to his garage. When confronted with this, he changed his story. This time, he's like, okay, okay, I killed her, but it was in self-defense. Let me paint you a little picture here. Destiny was around 5'3 and just over 100 pounds soaking wet. Ethan, on the other hand, is one of the single largest human beings I have ever laid eyes on. And I'm not talking like pro wrestler big, I'm talking Shrek big. Destiny couldn't hurt him if she tried. And as far as I can see, she never did. And I don't think she would because I think she was afraid of him. After all this happened, some stories started to come out about things she confided to family and friends. Destiny's mother's best friend called her and told her that when Damon and Destiny were living with Ethan, he reportedly got so mad at her about something that he forced her to drink fingernail polish remover and then doused a rag with it and held it over her nose and mouth until she passed out. Destiny's own mother says that after she moved out the first time she was living there and before she went to live with Jordan, Destiny had gone to Ethan's house to hang out one night and when she went to leave, he got upset. So upset that he either hit or kicked Destiny in the back, leaving a bruise. When her mom asked her about it, Destiny was pretty passive, like it wasn't a big deal. Which has me wondering, had he groomed her into convincing her that she needed him? Had he purposely become someone this 19-year-old had to rely on so that when she did need him, he could take advantage of her knowing she felt like she had nowhere else to go? That accidental phone breaking is starting to seem a little less accidental and more like he wanted to make sure Destiny needed him. And those times where they fell asleep in his bed watching TV are starting to seem like maybe there were more feelings on Ethan's side than Destiny realized. 
Now that we've covered Ethan, let's move on to police's interactions with Ethan's roommate, Andrea, the girl Destiny shared a bedless room with. When Andrea was first questioned about Destiny's disappearance, she told police that she figured Destiny had probably just tried to hitchhike back to Colorado or Texas, knowing that's where her family was. Eventually, after Ethan confessed, police took Andrea in for a follow-up interview, and she too changed her story. Instead of claiming she didn't know where Destiny was or that she assumed she was hitchhiking across the country, she says that she was actually inside the apartment when Destiny was murdered. According to Doreen, Andrea came home from work around 5.30 p.m. the night of the 4th and could hear Destiny and Ethan arguing in the back bedroom. Now, the back bedroom is not Ethan's bedroom where he claimed the murder took place. The back bedroom is the one that Destiny and Andrea shared. In court documents, Andrea says that Ethan came out of the back bedroom and casually told her that Destiny may claim that he tried to rape her. I'm sorry, what? In what scenario do you warn someone that another person may claim that you tried to rape them unless you actually tried to rape them? And why are you telling her this? I want you to note here that Destiny didn't come out of that back bedroom when he went to tell Andrea this, which confirms that fear I think she may have had of him. Andrea didn't freak out. She didn't call police. She didn't even leave the apartment. Instead, she sat on the couch and listened to them continue their argument until she heard the thuds and the arguing stopped. Ethan then walked out of the bedroom to deliver yet another grim message. This time, he told Andrea that he had just hit Destiny over the head with a lead pipe and cracked her skull open. But Destiny wasn't dead. After Ethan told Andrea what he had done, he told her that she needed to leave. So Andrea grabbed her things, headed out the apartment, and heard Destiny let out the last words anyone would ever hear her say. I'm sorry. Andrea left the apartment like she was told, but she didn't check on the girl she referred to as her little sister, and she didn't call police. Instead, she drove to her boyfriend David's house. Andrea gets to David's house and tells him what happened, and for whatever reason, he doesn't call police either. Instead, they hang out for a couple of hours, and then both of them go back to Ethan and Andrea's apartment knowing what had just happened. When they get there, they immediately see Ethan, but now he has blood on his face. There was no blood on his face when she left, so something happened between then and now within a couple of hours where he's still in the apartment and there's now more blood than there was before. And that's when Andrea makes herself a sandwich. Ethan tells the couple that he had just committed a murder. Destiny was not just potentially raped and definitely beaten, she had now been murdered, and not a single one of them ever tried to stop it or even report it. Andrea Payne was charged with accomplice after the fact regarding second-degree murder on April 21st, four days after Ethan was arrested. Her bond is set at $500,000. But now, let's talk about the third player, David. 
David is Andrea's boyfriend and the person Ethan initially tried to pin the murder on before admitting that he was the one who killed her. According to court documents, David's version of events goes as follows. Andrea left the apartment and came to his place, and while she was there, Ethan called him to tell him that he had just murdered Destiny. Him and Andrea then head over to the murder scene where he claims Ethan and his girlfriend told him to find Destiny's computer, which actually belonged to her boyfriend, Jordan, and to destroy it because it could be traced. So he did. One of the two, either Ethan or Andrea, grabbed the computer, put it into a bag that belonged to Destiny, along with a fake gun, which was randomly thrown into the report, and handed it over to David to destroy. That night, David, being the dumbass he is, Googles how to wipe a computer clean on his own personal phone, and then followed those instructions. Here's to hoping criminals never get any smarter. David Erno was charged with accomplice after the fact regarding second-degree murder on April 23rd, two days after his girlfriend was arrested on the same charges. His bond is set at $500,000. But wait, there's a fourth person. This is when the king of consonants comes in. Brandon Erbstosser. E-R-B-S-T-O-E-S-S-E-R. It wasn't until police were doing their follow-up interview with Andrea that anyone even knew Brandon existed. She told police that she called Brandon the night of the 5th, the day after Destiny's murder and dismemberment, and while on the phone, she casually tells him about how Ethan had killed Destiny the night before, dismembered her, and thrown her body parts into the dumpster outside their apartment, where she stayed for a week before their regularly scheduled trash pickup. But he already knew that. Ethan had actually called him twice on the night of the murder. And do you think he called police? Absolutely not. But he did come over to hang out, you know, at the apartment with a gaggle of misfits who all managed to band together to commit and cover up a gruesome murder and eat fucking sandwiches. None of them ever once thinking, maybe I should call 911. Police initially interviewed Brandon on April 17th, where he remembered getting the call from Andrea where she told him about the murder, but he claimed that he didn't know Ethan aside from seeing him the night after the murder when Andrea invited him over. But alas, criminals are stupid. The police pull phone records and discover that's a lie, so they interview him again on the 20th, and that's when he finally breaks down and admits that Brandon did in fact know Ethan, and they were so close that he volunteered to be the crime scene cover-up consultant of Destiny Avery's murder. When Ethan called him the night of the 4th, Brandon instructed him to get rid of all of Destiny's stuff, call the police and report her missing, and call her family and tell them that she had run away. According to court documents, he also told Ethan not to have any electronic communication about the murder because it could be traced. As if this whole gaggle of misfits wasn't blabbing their mouths to each other anyways. Brandon goes a step further, though, and actually comes over that night to do a walkthrough of the apartment with Ethan and Andrea to make sure all of Destiny's stuff was gone and that all the blood had been cleaned up. But they did a shitty job. The blood was found still pink on the carpets after Ethan tried to get it up with bleach, and plenty of Destiny stuff was found still in the apartment when police conducted further search warrants. They were the four best friends that anyone could have that killed their fifth best friend and then band together like a brotherhood of morons, thinking they'd watched enough investigation discovery to think they knew what the fuck they were doing. Brandon was not arrested after his April 20th interview. 
In fact, five days later on April 25th, he posted an article about Destiny's murder on his Facebook account. It wasn't until May 1st that Brandon was finally arrested for felony obstruction. His bond was set at $300,000. And in perfect timing, a guy named Nick commented on that link he had shared about Destiny's murder, saying, Sharing this really didn't age well for you, did it, Brandon? Then linked an article from Valley News titled, Fourth Person Arrested in Moorhead Teen's Murder. It was him. Brandon was the fourth and final arrest. According to Destiny's mother, they believe that Ethan and Destiny did get into an argument the night of the 4th over what, who knows, and Ethan hit her over the head with what he refers to as a lead pipe, though I can't imagine he legitimately had a lead pipe lying around unless this was premeditated. When he hit her over the head, he did crack her skull, but she wasn't dead, and Ethan needed her dead. Why? My guess is that it has to do with a rape allegation. He needed to make sure Destiny couldn't talk. So he carried her into the apartment bathroom, put her into the bathtub, and slit her throat. Once Destiny was dead, he put her body into a blue tote, closed the lid, and dragged her across the apartment complex parking lot and into his detached garage, where he then used his woodworking tools to dismember her body. Several totes were found with her blood in them, one with much more than the others, likely the one he put her in to take her to the garage, and human tissue was also found on a saw in the garage. Ethan then bagged up the pieces of Destiny's body, put them into garbage bags, and one by one placed them into the community dumpsters, knowing that the trash had already been picked up earlier that morning and knowing they would sit there for another week. Police were able to pull surveillance of the garbage pickup and identify the exact truck that picked up the exact dumpster Destiny was placed in and began searching the landfill. On April 22nd, they finally found Destiny. And that's all her mother knows. Doreen doesn't know how much of her daughter they found, if they found all of her remains, if they only found some of them. All she knows is that they found her, at least some of her. According to an officer I spoke to at the Clay County Jail, none of the four misfits from hell have any court dates scheduled due to corona shutting everything down, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that none of them can afford their bond, so they'll sit and wither away in a jail cell until their court dates can be scheduled. I will update you with any and all new information that comes up for this case. Destiny deserves justice and her mother, father, stepfather, and sisters deserve some peace in getting that for her. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Destiny's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. If you like your podcasts ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, or for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of each month. All your episodes are ad-free. And you'll also receive a forever discount code for all your Big Mad True Crime merch, and of course... Anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. <laughs>